Welcome back to the Fallimore Podcast. Um, this week, episode 19, we're chatting to Fee and James, who are two pretty gnarly sea kayak expeditioners. Yeah, Fee and James pretty much taught themselves how to paddle sea kayaks, um, and they've taken themselves as a, as a couple around both islands of New Zealand, and they've done big trips out in Patagonia. Um, they're not just sea kayakers, they do all types of paddling, they just love being out on the water. So they both paddle pretty hardcore rivers, they both do big open water trips, um, basically anything that is an expedition, anything that is a bit of a challenge, they're, they're keen for. Yeah, so we chatted to them about their um, motivations behind it and and a cool trip report from their sea kayaking trip around Patagonia um, and going around the bottom South America. It's pretty cool. Um, let's get into it. <laughs> Cool. Uh, I guess if we if we start just by if you could just introduce yourself yourselves and kind of tell us a bit um, about where you are, what you do. I'm Fee, and I'm James. <laughs> uh, we well, we're both based in the Lake District at the moment. Um, I work as a, a paddle sports coach for Wild River, and uh, I work as a senior instructor at the Outward Bound Trust in Oldswater, where I just take young people out and introducing to loads of things to do our paddle sport um but we're also um uh expedition paddlers and uh avid white water kayakers as well so that's good <laughs> yeah so uh like we're both big into sea kayaking and white water predominantly and then uh, we float around in canoes and stand up paddle boards as well when we kind of have time to go on adventures there nice. anything to get on the water right um, yeah you two from from looking through again without sounding like i've just been creeping on your facebooks but from looking through and from from being a, a proper Stra- a strava creep as well um you just seem to be out all the time that you're always running biking paddling trying to climb in the rain just kind of are you just kind of keen are you predominantly paddlers or are you just keen for any sort of adventure that's that's going well we used to very much be just paddlers, didn't we? Yeah, I think I think we're, um, we're known as the paddlers yeah. because we've kind of done some things in boats. But we're both really, really, really keen climbers and really, well, since this last lockdown, we've become really keen fell runners as well. Um, and we've just probably got more energy than sense. <laughs> uh, so we, we just constantly move in. So. Yeah, I kind of think that we're just kind of keen to be out doing something that's exciting, maybe a bit challenging, depending on the weather. Whatever the weather does. We but we'd always do, there's always something to do depending on the weather. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you think that fell running during lockdown came off the back of, I guess, doing expeditions? You've always got that kind of sense of pushing yourself and, and mentally and physically tiring yourself out. Do you think that was a, a good way of tapping into that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with us, really, but we definitely <laughs> have noticed we've got some kind of weird underlying desire to not just go for a run but uh... <laughs> well you completely you completely hit the nail on the head really because the first lockdown came in and obviously we live right by the mountains um and it was just like well we normally have something to work towards or something to look forward to and there's nothing else we need a routine so we just started running didn't we uh, <laughs> yeah one thing led to another and <laughs> yeah and then we met a, a goal that we could go run our first marathon but we wouldn't just run it along a road we'd run it over the mountains and all this kind of stuff so yeah we've yeah it's just what this we like to to put ourselves through pain i think 
yeah, I really don't know what's wrong with us, but we enjoy it. So yeah. <laughs> this kind of a willingness and desire to push yourself, is that kind of what got you into the sea kayaking expeditions or is that kind of born out of it? And, and because of that, you really want to push yourselves? Uh, yeah, potentially a bit of both. Um, so we, we met like 11 years ago in the Isle of Man and that's kind of where we, we started sea kayaking and kind of taught each other and learned the ropes of the game, kind of sometimes the hard way. Um, I have like a really vivid memory of after our first season working at this little outdoor centre, we completed a circumnavigation of the Isle of Man via sea kayaks. And it was only three days long and maybe only, how was it, 70k? Like not not that far, really. Uh, it was hard. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> really, really hard. Um, I think I wore a wetsuit and I was covered in chafe and I couldn't feel my legs. And I remember getting out of the boat at the end going, never, ever, ever again am I doing a sea kayak expedition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. But um, I think that kind of was the first thing because we had that kind of goal. We're definitely going to do it. And even though in our head it was like, this is really horrible. It was just like, oh, we, but we, we've said we're going to do this and we're going to complete it. But then also in that time, we've got quite over-imaginative, over-going over brains all the time. But mm -hmm. actually, we find that the sea and also just paddling in sports in general really levels us off a bit. Um, and just having that time in a wild space, really. Because um, normally we're like, let's go do this, let's go do that. And then as soon as we get in a boat or get on a rock, say if we go climbing, we just go... Yeah, really I'm gonna say it just kind of <laughs> relaxes us, which is a bit. But um, going back to that level of challenge, I think it was the challenge that kind of like drew us into doing a big sea kayak expedition. It was kind of like, hmm, New Zealand, South Island, that's quite big, and it's only been done a couple of times, and we don't really know that much about the sea, so it's probably impossible. But that kind of massive level of like almost out of our reach challenge, kind of drew us in a little bit of like well let's see what we can do and give it a go well because there's no two ways about it like we we started our first expedition in new zealand um that we were really inexperienced yeah yeah, yeah we were <laughs> <laughs> we, we like almost i wouldn't say dangerously so but it was definitely getting to that 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 line of not really knowing what we could achieve yeah um but yeah yeah in hindsight like we maybe took a few risks that we shouldn't have on that trip but learn a lot of lessons that kind of put us in our our seat to do the next couple of challenges that um came along but because of that inexperience though there was like a real um breadth of people though that were really keen they called us like there's a guy called paul caffin who lives in new zealand who's like the first person that's kayaked around both the islands first person to kayak around australia he also was the first team to go around the uk and it keeps going and keeps going um, but he called us the kids and uh, he, he gave us loads of information and gave us like good landings to go to and told us like so much stuff about the New Zealand sea and stuff. So people kind of noticed that, that we were just like these, these balls of excitement <laughs> yeah. and they just had to kind of help us get to where we wanted to go. But yeah. Um, so that's how it started. <laughs> Brilliant. So was that your jump? You went straight from the Isle of Man straight to the South Island of New Zealand? We, we, we did the Isle of Skye as well in between. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from like 70k to about 250 to 2,500. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so. Um, mm. But we did do quite a bit of like training on the when we decided we were going to paddle around the south yeah. island we um we did actually like 
properly go out there and train in the surf and kind of get our skills up to as good as they could be for the challenge. Yeah, there's some really old pictures of us from when we first started in like really big, 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 well, in plastic boats, but off like the coast of uh, Anglesey and this really big waves getting smashed and because like that's one thing about New Zealand is the surf everywhere around it's got some of like the biggest surf landings um that we'd ever seen anyway so we had to yeah. really get ready for that um but you know going through South Island was like a real big thing for us and we were like wow that was amazing it was like 90 days and we was like again like New Zealand and not New Zealand all of that it's like yeah we're probably not gonna do that again um and then literally a year later, we decided that we should probably go off and do the other half, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It just kind of seemed to call us to it. That <laughs> it's kind of the next challenge. So, mm. yeah. But like, like um, that was like one of the worst summers on record as well. But even though it was like really bad weather, really bad wind, we actually found that one a bit easier because we'd already done the first one as well. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things with big expeditions, isn't it? You find you you just find a rhythm with it, don't you? And if you've already had a big expedition rhythm to fall into, I bet it was much easier to drop into that rhythm um, going around the North Island. Was there one yeah. that was? Um, how did they compare? Did you have a favourite between the North and South, or are they kind of totally different kettles of fish? Um, yeah, actually, totally different kettles of fish. Like, yeah, completely different. Um, I think in terms of like variety, the South Island was more kind of interesting because we had the the stretch on the bottom, which they call Fjordland, is just this huge remote national park where you see nobody and you're kind of nowhere near a road or a town. Um, and it feels really cold down there and it kind of feels like you're, you're on the edge of the world. And then all the way up on the North Island is, um, yeah, it's like a different world, isn't it? It's like really hot just these endless sandy beaches and these kind of weird rocky formations all the way along um they felt they're very they're very different aren't they because like Mm. um i'd say the conditions were worse in the north island and we were we had a really good summer on our first trip didn't we we were quite lucky for that um but like um as fee said the southwest part of the south island was just so remote and crazy that's probably my favourite bit of all the islands, but I actually do think I preferred this, like the coastline and the sea conditions of the North Island. So yeah, the trip as a whole was better for me than all. Yeah, but that one section of the South was my favourite bit. Yeah, mm. but yeah. In terms of like technical paddling, uh, the North Island's definitely up there for like the most challenging bit of coastline we've ever paddled. Like the um, so the West Coast has almost no safe landings at all for kind of the whole whole stretch up um like at least on the south island there are like little divots and kind of like little headlands and stuff that you can find a bit of shelter um pop round and kind of not get too smashed in the surf also on the north but, island as well they've got those giant natural harbors then the manicure and the kaipara oh, which yeah. are just like 20k stretches with where, where you got this tide just shooting out back and forth making waves that go out yeah 10k out to shore so which there's some is- really challenging to Some kind of figure practices. out how to yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> get so. through that but yeah mm. so you were pretty much self-taught through the whole process where you'd just kind of um 
I know you said you did a lot of training before you went out, but did you, did you take any coaching or was it just a case of let's go out and paddle, let's see what we can learn and let's, let's just see how we develop as a pair and just push each other into those yeah, uh, situations? <laughs> I think we did our four-star training <laughs> in sea kayaks that maybe taught us like how to rescue a boat and basic stuff like that. But uh, yeah, pretty much we've taught ourselves as we went along and yeah together. the only coaching we've ever got is on like level one or, or or level two type courses and that that's about it really and and maybe a couple of days when we first started in the isle of man as trainees where they taught us how to make a boat move and rescue a young person um, <laughs> um but apart from that we've just kind of taught ourselves and and we kind of like uh, off the isle of man to remember the time when the the coast guard got called out because we were so driven to get better at stuff we were playing in the calf of man doing rescues really well but we didn't know that we should probably let someone know so some people on the shore <laughs> got really scared all of a sudden that there was these two kayakers in the, in the stream and they came by and they took our names and stuff on their power and they were just going oh you're pretty good at that <laughs> but yeah so so it was mainly just us doing it uh, between ourselves um but yeah. yeah yeah pretty yeah. much self-taught really nice. And where did the white water fit into that? Was that kind of a, did that come after or was that a useful aside to the sea kayaking or was that a totally different, a totally uh, different element of it for you? It just kind of came really. Uh, I kind of think our, our love for being outside, being in the water, challenge, excitement. It was kind of like a, a naturally fitting sport that we kind of fell into mm. um and it was when we were at university that to, we to managed honest, to get hold of some boats and yeah in the in the isle of man like there weren't any rivers and that was the first time i'd ever been in a kayak so so the only thing we really had was the sea so that's our only aspect of kayaking and we went to university in cumbria suddenly we, we was like oh great we can finally do this more or what we viewed as probably the more young and hip thing to be doing and going why what we're kayaking um and uh, we kind of just taught ourselves how to do it. And we did actually get a little bit of coaching here and there in white water. But to be honest, we always wanted to do white water. And it wasn't until maybe the third year of university where we started going, oh, yeah, there's that sea kayaking thing we quite liked. And we kind of then it started going back to each other. So we forgot about sea kayaking for like a two year chunk, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> it kind of became, uh, well, if it's this weather, we'll go sea kayaking. And if it's raining, then we'll be in our white water kayaks. And kind of got got into both as well as each other really and also the sea kayaking we generally always went for expeditions didn't we it was always yeah. like we'd go away for a week we'd go away for a couple of days or something like that i really like this uh from the from the thing that you sent us for your, your meticulous preparation for this i really like the <laughs> the reasons you're drawn to sea kayaking is the sea plays by its own rules and even a short trip around a headland can be a roller coaster ride into the unknown i think that's a that's a great way of summarizing getting out and sea kayaking kind of I guess that's why it pushed you into doing those longer trips in that isn't it it's rivers to an, to an extent you know you're going to start here you're going to get off there and you, you have an idea of what's going to happen in between but open water and especially the sea they're, they're totally you're in their hands I guess yeah well I suppose like one of our you know we, we spend a lot of time up in the highlands boat boat in and like, say, if you got on the Roy Gorge, I know exactly on what water level I need to pull my paddle at that exact point on the river. Um, and I can generally always do that move. But mm. on the sea, it's just like, it's, you're never going to get to the same bay twice, are you? <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels, it's definitely got that more full adventurous aspect to it that, I mean, you can, 
you can go out somewhere and feel like you're the only person in the world and the mm-hmm. conditions are constantly changing and you don't know what you're going to find around the corner, which, yeah, I love about that. Completely love. And so obviously on these big expressions, you, you two are, are, are a couple, aren't you? How, how does that kind of dynamic play out? Is it, do you think it's made you stronger as a couple or has it put real <laughs> pressure on during the expression? Because I certainly know from... From me and my partner going out, sometimes it can be mega stressful if we're both boating together. Um, never mind massive. I'd like to vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Mrs. Been there. Well, I'll let you um, answer first. We've done three big trips, like almost 12 months living on a tent and on the sea together. And we're not divorced yet. We're still quite happily married, actually. So, like, stuff, I guess, has kind of been working well, in our I favour. Feel, I feel like after doing South Island and North Island, we've decided that we might as well get married because if we manage to get through that, <laughs> we're probably quite strong. <laughs> yeah, um, but to be fair, I think it definitely, definitely makes us stronger as a couple. I mean, like, we see each other, like, at our worst and we see each other at our best and we develop these ways of like reading each other and knowing how each other's feeling and what they're thinking um, and kind of being, being there for support the whole time, I think. Mm. I yeah. think. I think it's also kind of, everyone has their low point, especially on these big, big expressions where you're like 90 days living out of a boat. And it's kind of that acceptance, that automatic acceptance that if he gets angry and shouts at me in the sea or vice versa, because it's definitely gone both ways before. Um, when we get, back or we've calmed down generally we, we know where it is there's no hurt feelings it's just like well it was pretty stressful back then or or you were just very tired or very hungry at that point so it's mm. a bit more forgiveness and that kind of stuff um it also makes loads of other things easier as well because obviously going on an expedition with someone's great but if you're only going to take one tent and you're pretty close with each other anyway so you don't need to worry about all that stuff yeah you know? I mean like <laughs> we can completely cross any boundaries that would ever be there with anybody else um but also I think experiencing like such powerful moments like you know sitting on Cape Horn at the end of the world and just being in the most incredible moment ever and kind of being there together as a married couple that we've been through this whole journey and kind of supporting each other the whole way is probably like one of the most amazing things that like <laughs> I could want to experience like I wouldn't want anybody else by my side in that kind of moment mm. so yeah it definitely makes us stronger I think mm. yeah it's pretty it's pretty special being able to share those experiences with someone that you're that close mm-hmm. to and that kind of emotionally involved with um do you think that learning together and learning collectively and coming through the whole process together really helped with that because I guess there's there's a sense of shared responsibility and a shared decision making process and there's no one person that has that kind of prior knowledge and prior experience to kind of put the pressure on them yeah yeah definitely um I mean when we're when we're kind of out there doing all of our trips like neither of us is the leader um like because we're our knowledge is so equal and our skills are so equal and we've had the same experiences that the decisions are they're always joined it's what do you think what do you think well blah, 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 rather than one of us kind of having more experience under our belts and kind of taking that lead which it's not always really as simple nice. as that it's not, no, I'm yeah just actually, that was a very similar <laughs> <laughs> James we're going this way <laughs> like we definitely do argue about the decision yeah, but yeah, yeah you, if he's right there, there isn't like a hierarchical thing mm. kind of thing it is um 
you know, sometimes I might win, sometimes B might win, and then sometimes it means the other person might be a bit stroppy because they think it's the wrong decision. Yeah. But we're still here, so, <laughs> so yeah. Um, mm, but it's really nice to be, like, joint in that kind of um, experience. I, I think a harder one, though, is is dealing with motivation levels, like, especially of our most recent trip, which we're talking about in a bit, and in Patagonia. Um, that one, you'd have days where, because the weather forecasts weren't great, um, or near non-existent mm. and it's a bit of a, a coin flip if it's going to be good or not or if you're just going to unpack your tent and then get on the sea and decide that actually you have to going to get off again that actually that motivation discussion when one person's quite happy staying in their sleeping bag whilst the other one wants to give it a go those ones are actually harder than kind of cut and dry decisions about is that okay to paddle there or do, do you think the tide's going well um and that, that that one we need to have a bit more emotional um intelligence about it but obviously I think yeah. that's another downside of a couple that are, we're very close and very comfortable with each other that sometimes you might forget about that side of it as well and we might sometimes get like we don't see that as much because we're like but we both want to do it surely <laughs> I can't understand that you don't want to do it today <laughs> so, so yeah 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 I agree <laughs> yeah it's definitely something you, you you can sometimes struggle to lose that objectivity in the same way you can't you when you when you're that emotionally involved I um I run quite a lot with my partner and there's definitely times where I get to a point where I'm like I would not be in this much of a bad mood if it wasn't for the fact that it's you here and like you're that you know me that well that I can actually be in that sort of really bad mood whereas if this was someone that I didn't know that well there's no way I'd be behaving like this um yeah yeah, yeah. and I think that it's kind of a positive for us on expeditions. I mean, I think if I spent three months with a good friend where I'd kind of maybe feel quite bad if I swore at them and exploded Probably a little a bit. Break off, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of think that because we could just unleash our emotional outbursts at each other and it be fine. Um, that I, I just I think it kind of makes it easier that there's not this kind of like underlying stress of hmm, I wish that she'd done this or done that. That we just say it how it is and kind of deal with it i want to stress that we are happy more we than are we are happy <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to interrupt uh fee and james to remind you to buy our amazing book paddle more in loch lomond and the Thorsex national park if you've not seen it yet um, it's an all-encompassing paddle sports guide for the national park. So whether you want chilled kind of family trips on a small lock or a long multi-day adventure, uh, there is kind of something in there for everyone. There's loads of history, loads of cool places. There's loads of places you can get coffee and a bacon sandwich along the way too. Yeah, it's available in all good bookshops um, and online from pezdepress.com. You can buy it in person a couple of days a week down at Finkston Water Sports if you're in the Glasgow area. Um, should cost you about $15.99. It is on Amazon, but don't buy it from there because you don't pay their taxes and they're mean, nasty people. So let's get back to the episode. So you, you did the South Island, you did the North Island, and then you got married. And then as a married couple, you... I'm, I'm jumping time frames here. Um, <laughs> you, you took on another another trip there's something about the 2700 kilometer mark that seems to be quite um 
kind of frequent in your trips. It was 2,500, 2,700, and then another another 2,700 kilometer trip down in Patagonia, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, if, if I remember rightly. Um, what prompted that trip? What was it? Was it itchy feet or something else? Well, I just married life was a bit dull. <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> uh, okay so thinking about our motivations for Patagonia um, yeah so when we think back and people kind of ask us ah so what's the best part of New Zealand what do you enjoy the most uh, we always kind of jump to this bit we've already spoken on this podcast about actually the the Fiordland section on the um the southwest of the South Island where it's just remote and you see nobody and you're in it by yourself and the sea's massive and the winds are crazy and it literally just feels like you are out there. Um, so we wanted to find somewhere like that, that was kind of as remote as possible and kind of had all these other challenges that would keep us excited. So um, yeah, I think the idea kind of came to us uh scrolling around google maps actually you know because <laughs> all good expeditions uh start um and i think we were just looking for the most remote part of the world that we could potentially get our sea kayaks to and mm. uh, it looked like patagonia well, kind of fitted but also the size of the trip had a big thing about it because the 2500 to 2000 to, let's say 2500 to 3100 uh, you know that's kind of our window that we could take off work yeah, uh, without being like, financially crippled, um, kind of like a three-month window. <laughs> so it's just like that sounds like a. And also, by the end of every trip we do, you know, we kind of it's this weird thing that we kind of want to end, but we don't want it to end at the same time. It's a good level of being like, I've been on the sea for three months. I could happily do this for longer, but I'm also really looking forward to that pizza uh, and uh, yeah, creature yeah. comfort. Um, so yeah, literally, we just saw Patagonia and saw that there wasn't many roads there at all, if not any. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was it, really. We had to start looking into it. Yeah, we bought a big roadmap. I think it's behind us, yeah, actually. Yeah, this one. This yeah, one, yeah. Uh, um, bought a big roadmap and stuck it on our wall. And kind of, as time passed, we started designing a route yeah. through it. That, yeah. So basically, we went from the last kind of like major town in the north um, called Porto Mont down to uh, what um, to the bottom in Porto Williams, which is like the last town in Chile. Um, and then we thought if the weather was good and the time was good, because in Patagonia it's so hard to to kind of plan uh, and say we're definitely going to do something because the weather is just wild and the conditions are so wild. Yeah, especially um, in their summer. It's exactly. Wild, yeah. So, so yeah. we kind of had Cape Horn as a plan bit, like, not a plan B, like a. A plan if everything yeah. else has gone to plan. And even better if, shall we call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like, if we had time, if the weather looked good, if all of the moons and stars aligned, we'd go, we'd, we'd pop round Cape Horn, you know, add an extra 300 metres. So we don't, it may have been more than 2,700 metres as well on this trip as well. Kilometres. Kilometres, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's with it, That was a rough estimate with us, with our little finger yeah. going, like, yeah, so that's about... <laughs> uh, when we were planning for the North Island, our old housemate, Reese oh, yeah. used to laugh at 100, us. 100, 200, He said, how long is it going to take you? And we went, one, two, about three months. <laughs> so, but yeah, so um, it was similar to that, really. But we had to put so much more into logistics. I don't know if you want to talk about the logistics side of oh, paddling like, in Chile. Yeah, so much more. Um, so <laughs> so the, the Navy in Patagonia are... Um, 
quite meticulous. Is that a word? Is yeah, that, that's, you know that's I mean? the right word. Yeah, They're yeah. quite meticulous. Um, and if you if you get on the sea or do anything without the naval's permission and you get caught, um, I think that you could end up in Chilean jail and it's quite a bad thing to do. Um, so we thought for a while that we might gamble it and just kind of <laughs> hide from everybody we saw for three months on the sea. But then I started waking up in sweats in the night and thought, actually, no, I don't want to end up in Chilean jail. We'll we'll see if we can get naval approval for this um, big trip. Um, like, I think most people that we spoke to try to get advice from this were quite pessimistic, like, oh, they're never, you're never going to get permission to paddle all the way through Patagonia in sea kayaks and go around Cape Horn. Um, not a chance. Because I think not many people really sea kayak out there. So the Navy kind of view a sea kayak as not a proper boat or a, a little tourist thing that you might pot around a bay. Um, so we spent, oh, we spent months and months kind of like, fine-tuning this plan and we ended up with this it's about a hundred page document that covered everything uh, everything from like a huge risk assessment to how many calories and what we were eating each day to um, every single item in our repair kit that we were taking with us and every possible and then we had to translate happen. it into spanish and translate well. it yeah um, <laughs> um, and and as we said at the start that's kind of not our forte our forte is the yeah. we're with the ideas guys you know so that was a that was a lot of work that we had to put into it um and but other people have done it like in the uk we've got our friend will and erin they've done trips um in patagonia so we know that smaller trips are definitely possible so surely our van as well as we just broke it down to loads of mini trips surely that would be okay you know rather than just saying we're going to go from here to there we're gonna we're only going to here then we're gonna go get more permission here and more permission there yeah. and that was uh, our, our goal really <laughs> anyway it was one of the most stressful days of my life I thought they're, they're quite um well a little bit sexist the Chilean navy um that I well this is what we've heard that they kind of view women as definitely the weaker and for some reason I can't I think it was just a bit mad I had to jump out of the van and go into the the naval office and I just remember sat there on this chair and everybody staring at me and someone going, blah, 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 Cape Horn. And everybody pointing at me and talking at me. And I just remember feeling like the biggest stress ever in the world. But um, anyway, four, four hours later, after being grilled by this Chilean Navy officer, we, um, we got this ticket or this Zark that said we could do the trip and think like within half an hour our boats were packed and we were off and yeah that was the start. it was so much uh, so much fast to get to that point and then it was suddenly surreal wasn't it we got this piece of paper and then we were floating away within an hour and it was just like all of these months of preparation for, for, for that but um as soon as we left really uh from Portimont we were in this kind of really remote bubble weren't it it was like little towns here and there and then suddenly there was just nothing with then these ginormous mountains with, uh, with glaciers you could see in the distance coming up with like penguins and sea lions everywhere. And it was just quite a surreal thing. Yeah. Um, and we didn't see anybody for months, really. Like we'd see the odd boat in the distance when we got near yeah, some like of the, a freight boat or something. the shipping channels. Yeah. yeah. But apart from that, it was just us, mm. which was really cool and really weird and just yeah amazing kind of the reason we went there yeah definitely yeah but then obviously with that that the other thing that we was expecting about Patagonia we within like a week we'd already started seeing was the notorious summer Patagonian winds and weathers and 
And before you knew it, we were having to learn a whole different set of rules. Like in, in New Zealand, we kind of made these kind of rules that we'd work by saying that if it was 25 knots to 30 knots, we could do with it all 35 knots. We could do a tailwind. But if it was 50 knots, we would, wouldn't do a headwind because that is, with how heavy your boat is, it's not worth it. But because it's more channely in Patagonia, we would decided that, oh, well, that's now 50 plus knots if it's a tailwind. Yeah, yeah. And we just hold on tight and see where we land. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. like if we just kept <laughs> upping it, what we were paddling yeah. in, like by far we paddled in the windiest and <laughs> scariest conditions that like we ever have that there was, like oh just mental there was this one section um it was around christmas wasn't it where because of all the valleys everywhere uh, they have these things called vortexes where all the winds meet and they make like these tornadoes and suddenly we saw this white kind of shape coming towards us and it hit me and i couldn't see anything and everything went blind and when fee when, when i opened my eyes i was completely facing the wrong way and uh fee was just like what happened and it was just like <laughs> and my like... whole boat just like turned around like... <laughs> one of the few times i've seen gen genuine fear on james's face <laughs> coming out the other side of this vortex yeah along with the the weather and stuff there as well though we literally had like three or four weeks of just complete downpour rain um, oh yeah and literally just living out of wet kit for for weeks and weeks at a time yeah and also it took us a while to um figure out the tides in patagonia that actually one high tide is way higher than the other high tide um so we managed to get wake up floating in the sea and everything got wet and then it just wouldn't dry out for I well, think, weeks until yeah. we managed to dry everything out which was pre pretty grim really and, and like because of the weather what was the longest stretch we did where we couldn't leave our tent we literally just couldn't even walk out oh i think it was 92 hours 92, 92 hours, yeah. maybe something like that where we were just where we didn't leave the tent yeah the only thing we'd do is we'd leave the just the exit area just so we could go to the loo because otherwise even just standing on the beach was ridiculous wasn't it, it yeah was just... it's just and we were just camped um, on this little spit of land and the tide kept getting higher and higher and higher till eventually we were about a foot above the sea and because of all the rain all these waterfalls were flying off everywhere and yeah, that was yeah. probably one of the worst moments of the trip, actually. But to be honest, though, it was just fantastic, wasn't it? Because we were just completely self-sufficient in this really wild place. Um, like when we left Porks, there was only two stops that we could get food. And that was uh, Puerto Asen and um, Puerto Natales. Apart from that, the whole trip, we didn't see anyone else. We weren't by anyone. But it did mean every time we left, left civilization that our, our kind of... Um, our kill strip lines everything oh like. the boats like we couldn't <laughs> so we could lift the boats i think maybe about a foot it was like lift move drop <laughs> lift move because they were like two two and a half months worth of food i think we had for our longest yes yeah, so they were but, super heavy and when they sat in the water they were so low down that every time they like fee and i caught a wave if it was like some waves coming behind us we'd actually just be underwater whilst we were surfing <laughs> because it was just like that so yeah yeah so it was it was because like some people that we've seen do these trips they they solely live off like dehydrated food and stuff like that mm. but me and fear are a bit tight uh, so, so so we were just like living off rice and pasta so which weighs oh. considerably more but um yeah, yeah. i think our <laughs> diet consisted of porridge pasta and 
as many chocolate bars that yeah. could be crammed down. And vitamin tablets. And the odd lot, vitamin lot, Lots of, <laughs> don't want to get scurvy. Um, but <laughs> In terms of the paddling down there, so the west side of Patagonia is, is quite fragmented and there's lots of kind of fjords and, and open water and stuff. So what was the, what was the paddling like? What was the actual journey like? Was it a lot of, I'm not going to say inland fjords, but a lot of fjords type paddling or were you out on the exposed to the full force of is it the pacific there pacific or is it the, is it the atlantic yeah. are you that far down that it's the atlantic i'm not sure where the crossover lies so so when it's kind of like literally at like cape horny type areas where you can get the crossover yeah okay. yeah you've got a sight of your your nose in the pacific and your tail in the atlantic nice. <laughs> that's where it meets but um yeah so then like most of it we um, opted to go kind of through the fjords, but for some of the sections, it kind of forced us out onto the um, the bits where the swell would kind of creep in and hit us, uh, which we were, when we got to those bits and realized how massive the swell was, which combined with the crazy winds, like was absolutely mental. Uh, we were pretty glad that most of our route kind of, yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the kind of like 30, 40 knot winds, was going through the fjords because we just wouldn't I be think, able to paddle on the I think swell in that. With the wind and stuff, um, to be honest, even though it was in the fjords, because I remember some of my friends at work were saying, it's like, oh, I thought you'd be out on the main sea, you're not on the main sea. I'd say the sea and some of those fjords were definitely worse than any other conditions I've ever been in on, on, on the yeah. sea. Because actually, like, you kind of think, oh, but it's it's like a channel. Yeah, but these some of these channels might be 30, 40 kilometres apart. And then they've got wind that are traveling, but then they're like 200k long. So then you've got wind funneling down very steep-sided valleys um, for there. And actually there aren't, it's not like safe landings everywhere. It's quite a lot of steep cliffs as well. Mm. So, so like if it goes crazy, you can't just hop out your boat. It's like, you might be like a good half a day until the next safe landing and stuff still. Yeah, and um, the, um, the tide flows, um, pretty strong and pretty all over the place like if you kind of imagine the shape of the land and the fjords uh so we found that with the wind against the tide like the waves would be steepened up massively and like it would feel like yeah <laughs> somewhere really big and how is there no swell and the waves are this big but um yeah it's just the combination of kind we, of everything that... we we even did like a portage didn't we there's one section we did a couple we, uh, there's one section where no one's ever actually kite around this this outside i forgot what it's called now um it's a spanish word so i probably wouldn't say it right anyway and it but there's like an outside area where no one's actually kite that on record and we don't think you well you definitely wouldn't get naval permission to do that bit because like even when you click on like um uh some of these apps that show you the surf and stuff it's saying it's like 16 foot is like the standard wave uh height there um so like uh, and like the a sheltered landing would be like 100k between each self and because it's never been paddled they've not been wrecked so that information's not there so we'd you'd have to be that that information finder um which we weren't too keen for and the portage was um another story really that was yeah. like a day of pain because we told you how heavy these boats were that was just through through oh, bog so that went up pain. to our like Waste. breast area breast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that was i think i'd forgotten how painful that was like we look back on it and laugh but i definitely remember Chest lying there in the mud practically i think i was crying at one point actually with I think we were both my crying kayak pinning me down <laughs> 
then we got to this river. Sorry, but we'll move on because it's not the most exciting part of the show. We got to this river and thought, great, we've, we've made it. And then it was like thick reeds. And we, for about an hour, we were just like in glue, just shoving our boats <laughs> along these reeds. <laughs> and then it was all good. But yes, anyway. Like... <laughs> we did actually, though, we got to the bottom. Um, and uh, we definitely had time to do Cape Horn. But um, yeah, we had some yeah, decisions to we, make, didn't we? We almost didn't. Because like, we got to this, this turning point where, oh, if we turned left down this fjord, then we could get to a town in three days. It could, wasn't even three days, could, or was two it days. A day, a we day. could fifty k away, That's and we could um, <laughs> get to this town and eat pizza and be warm and not wear our wet dry suit, and the whole world would be so nice. Or we could turn right and detour another. I think it's about five hundred kilometers, but it could potentially take us a month with the weather and stuff, and live in our our wet dry suit and be in pain for another month. Um, so. Yeah, we decided to turn right and take the, the more challenging option. And then the day after we turned right and we're all excited and yes, we're heading towards Cape Horn. We started paddling and the forecast was quite good actually. I think it was 20 knots normally, should have been a nice day. And then the weather just went mental. And there were all these tornadoes and hurricanes flying all over the sea. And we had to just like crash land on this spit of land that we were next to because we, we genuinely couldn't paddle forwards or back or go anywhere. Um, and we happened to crash land by this old abandoned derelict barn that it didn't look like anyone had been in there for about but it had like a, years. Like what seemed to be like a house from the 70s yeah, above the barn really as well. Weird. With like old toys that had been destroyed. So obviously it was like where a farmer took his kids over the summer or something to 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 tend his cows or whatever back in the 70s. But it was like the most surreal place ever because it was so windy. We put our tent inside the barn because our tent was broken as well. And um and so we put it in there so we could get some shelter from the wind. So it's all looking good at this point. But all littered and like the apartment upstairs was loads of newspaper clippings of Cape Horn talking about shipwrecks off the Cape Horn. And, and then we noticed that like all of our water containers were broken and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. We, um. <laughs> then after like a couple of days of being stuck in this barn and it just been really bad and the winds that weren't really forecast that bad numbers, but these hurricanes were like going everywhere. And we kind of thought, hmm, is it a good idea to actually try and do Cape Horn? Because like the winds were absolutely mental compared to what they'd been forecast. And we realized that almost every piece of equipment was broken Busted. or breaking. So yeah. our tent, every single pole had snapped and it, it was pretty sorry sight really. It, it wasn't really much of a tent mm. anymore. Um, my spray deck, our spray decks had holes in. Um, I think part of my boat was broken. Everything was, all our water containers had holes in and we tried to patch them up with glue and duct tape. Oh, um, and we, we, we used our kite knife to saw our poles so we could break the poles more so then we could make like a Frankenstein pole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and another pole would break, so yeah. it wasn't that good. Um, uh, so we made this list of all these reasons that we shouldn't go and do Cape Horn because like we had no tent really and the weather was going crazy and it was very committing and we we're running low on food as well and then we made all the this list of these reasons that we wanted to go and do Cape Horn. I, I must admit the negatives definitely are wine <laughs> yeah. made, and the, the, the positive was mainly it would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then so we decided just to try and as you said try and fix everything we could 
and then we'd we'd maybe try and inch up the coast a bit more yeah we were like we'll just go a bit further and see what happens because we had to go like what was it 70 or 80k till we got to the crossing so we could cross to the isle of the williston isles which is where mm -hmm. cape horn is and that's a really big crossing to get to the williston isles so we thought if we can leapfrog our way up we might get that window we're looking for and worst case scenario we just have to turn back and then paddle along so that's what we did didn't we it was like doing yeah. 30k days in between the weather doing these kind of quite big crossings to get to this crossing point and like at one point there was like we saw all these fins come out and I got a bit scared because I noticed that we were being we were being um circled by like a pod of killer whales just circling us constantly and and like it's that old thing is like I know they generally don't attack humans in the world but there's not a lot of humans around there so maybe they don't know that uh, <laughs> was what we were thinking so <laughs> but anyway they didn't attack us and then one morning we woke up and the weather looked all right it was quite windy but blowing us across to the Cape Horn Wollaston Islands um <laughs> So we decided to go and before we knew it, like this big tailwind, we're in the middle of the sea and we were just being blown towards the Wollaston Islands on a potentially one-way ticket because I didn't know how long it would take us to get back if ever weather would be good enough. Um, and now like one of the, the challenges um, about kind of us going round Cape Horn was that there was almost no tidal information available about kind of that set of islands as to what the flood does, what the ebb does, how strong the tide goes and kind of are there any big tidal races and stuff to watch out for, which like if you were doing a trip to any of the Scottish islands, perhaps Orkney or Shetland, like you, you would be quite silly to not get your tidal information right and kind of know what's going on there. But um, that was kind of one of the, the things that enticed us to go it out there and um, trying to go around Cape Horn was kind of like us putting all of our lessons and stuff we'd learned about the sea over our, our trips and this trip about how the sea works and tides and everything and kind of piece the puzzle together and kind of figure it out and make the right decisions as we went along which was really cool actually really cool yeah. if, if a little scary at times we're going back to your previous question as well like you said we're going through the fjords this bit here obviously was complete open sea like this was where two giant oceans met as well so we had the atlantic one side yeah. and the pacific one side and we could definitely see that with the swell couldn't we so yeah as we're going towards it there was these literally i don't know what the, the height was i think our patchy weather forecast we got through on our sat communicator text machine uh said something like it was a 1.2 meter swell like one to two meter swell sorry not 1.2 so it was within there and it definitely felt it wasn't it, it was like yeah, these ginormous rollers bigger. smashing against the cliffs <laughs> and stuff yeah um, but it was just another world out there though because there was no one there obviously we keep saying that but then there'd be like literally penguins diving out of the water around us and albatrosses swooping past our heads and stuff and it was just like literally just felt like the most awesome place in the world didn't it like, it was like so good. so far it was worth it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah just absolutely incredible to be out there by ourselves having got there by our own force on sea kayaks and figuring out the tides as we went mm. along. Um, and then it got to the day where we were going to Cape Horn. Yeah. And that day, the weather forecast wasn't looking great, but it looked like it was getting better. So we kind of started doing the first crossing to get towards the crossing to 
to the Isle of Hornets. And it was literally some of the worst wind I'd seen in all the trip. And we decided that this was stupid and we couldn't do it. And we actually ended up turning back and paddling for half an hour back until we both were just really sad. And it was just like, oh, that was our chance. We've got to go back. Because at this point as well, we had a text from my dad saying there was a global pandemic starting. So we kind of had <laughs> we thought we should probably try and make our way home at some point as well. <laughs> like, um, and then we said, okay, well, we're going to go back and we're going to look once. And if the weather's not good, we're, we're getting hit on the head. Yeah, and then, like, the winds did drop. It still looked sun, pretty like, crazy like on the crossing. Black but, sky, and yeah. then the sun started appearing. And, and the wind did know. start dropping, even if it looked still quite violent. Yeah, and everything just seemed a little better. So we, we looked at each other and said, wow. well... <laughs> a global, we didn't know what my dad wasn't very good at telling us what the pandemic was so we, we thought it might be zombies or something so we thought well we might as well die doing something we love so anyway so we decided to go for it and that was just like a, an amazing moment of oh my god what are we doing we're heading towards cape horn and the conditions aren't ideal but oh my god we're going there anyway uh, and it was just like really, really kind of like wild, invigorating feeling. Um, so the first pit you get to on Cape Horn is called North Cape. And it's like a ginormous black pyramid sticking up the water. And there's like ginormous 200 meter whatever cliffs. Um, and it was literally just really crazy up there, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like lots of clipotis with the waves smashing and coming back, reflecting and growing and bigger. And it was boily mess, wasn't it? It was like hard, hard to stay upright, actually, kind of. But it was great as long as you just kept forward yeah. paddling. It was like, it wasn't like, you know, we were like, this is fine. But Cape Horn's definitely very infamous. Yeah, um, we're not even there yet. <laughs> we're not even there yet. And this is like this one. But then we got to this bay and it was like, what well, must have been 10 to 20. I don't know what exactly foot waves smashing into this bay um and then we got to um the next headland and like i said the weather was iffy at best that day um but we had taken the gamble and the wind it just started changing direction like coming from the south and picking up a little bit and i was like oh my god oh my god this isn't good this isn't good this isn't good and starting to like really get quite scared because like a change in wind direction and a change in um, speed is generally not a good sign it's like a, a different pressure systems moving in and god knows what's going to happen and there was a gale force warning actually for the next morning so um, yeah i kind of thought oh my god this big pressure system's coming in early and we're in the most <laughs> worst place that you could be in a sea kayak um but anyway at that point like the wind had now was now pushing us kind of aside from behind and there was no choice but to just keep going forward with this wind that was building behind us um and then we could see cape horn eventually couldn't we yeah but it was really kind of surreal because like 100 meters offshore was just this band of really flat water and then out to past there was wind just blowing you straight to antarctica so like we as long as you hung the shore it was actually really calm and nice yeah so we like we were going along we we're looking up at the cliffs and it was like funnels of cloud literally wisps of cloud just shooting out of the valleys because it was so windy at the top um but where we were it was so calm we got to cape horn this thing that we built up to be this magical amazing crazy experience so we just sat there and i got my peanuts out my little trail mix and, and i had some food going well this is not that yeah, hard, is like, <laughs> that entire day on the sea cape horn was the calmest part of sea like every, everything else was wild and mental but that patch on cape horn 
that was just like this weird bit of shelter was really relaxed. I kind of wanted that though because it was really nice. It was a moment that we just stopped for like a minute and then we noticed that we were starting to to slowly make our way to the area of the wind. Uh, We just sat for a minute and just kind of just took in. Tried to take it all in. Yeah, not to get too corny. Just think about everything we've achieved, uh, not just on this trip in general to lead into this point was just quite special moment I'd say yeah <laughs> it, it was actually it was quite emotional yeah. actually looking back at it. it was literally kind of like a oh my god we're here look what we've done how the hell are we here this is incredible uh, just yeah it's hard to put it into words to be honest but um that's one of the best moments of my life was we still there. yeah and we still had like four or five days left you know we had one day where we did we couldn't paddle because the weather was really bad but apart from that the weather was okay we, before you knew it we were in Port Williams and it was like this really anti-climactic moment landing there because actually for me the end of the trip was Cape Horn and we got to that bit and we kind of just had some pizza and got on a ferry the next day and tried to change our flights and got home just before lockdown uh, the first lockdown that is and and it was just kind of all of our trips are always the same isn't it they're always anti-climactic yeah. Whatever that word is, when you <laughs> <laughs> anticlimax when you um finish, you, you build it up so much, don't you? And then yeah. it's it's just over, and it's just like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, we did it. Yeah, and then you're thinking the whole time. You're thinking how much you want to have a shower and a pizza or whatever. Pizza is quite a big thing in our life. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> um, uh, and actually, then you get home, and all you want to do is get back on the sea, really. Yeah, it's like you know? um, a bit of a paradox that when we're on the sea, we're like, oh, I would give anything to sit on a sofa and eat a pizza. Oh, I'd give like anything to do that. And then when we're sat here on a sofa eating pizza, have anything all to, we want to do is be to have lots of chafe and slightly But yeah, I think that's the, the reality of long expeditioning. How has everything kind of compared since? Because it, it's an interesting kind of way you put it to, to piece all the puzzle pieces together and kind of take yourselves from that kind of self-taught quick trip around the Isle of Man that felt like a big expedition at the time of this kind of three-day trip to being self-sufficient around arguably the most kind of inhospitable, remote, wild place on Earth. You know, it, it's, it's a place that I think most people wouldn't dare venture in, in a bigger boat, let alone in a sea kayak, when you have absolutely no data about it. Um, mm-hmm. And you say it was anticlimactic when you finished. How's everything compared to Sydney? Has it, has it kind of sunk in when you got back on the water next that you've been there? Or did it kind of take a bit of time and, and trips afterwards have kind of always been compared? Or is it a very different experience? Well, to be honest, as I said before, we, we you know we we generally we go sea kayaking. We're generally doing expeditions, and because of lockdowns and all this kind of stuff, we actually haven't really been in a sea kayak that much since beforehand. Um, and any time we've got off, we we and we when we're allowed to move, we, we're trying to get out and keep our water fresh, aren't we? So um, I don't know really how to answer that really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely after the New Zealand trips. I definitely kind of yeah weird feeling like being back in a sea kayak on another kind of mini trip it's kind of did definitely feel a little bit like anti kind of climatic mm. that kind of just wished I was out there doing the big thing again but um, we, we picked up our yeah. new kayaks from uh, Anglesey um because uh, we, 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 uh, we, we're, we're really lucky to be supported by um, Sea Kayak UK um, and Nigel Dennis kayaks 
Um, so we went to go pick up some kayaks, these amazing kayaks. I couldn't recommend them enough. Um, um, and to be honest, like that was what, September, October? I can't really remember. Um, but anyway, it felt great just going around Hollyhead, um, going around the stacks. Mm. Um, it, we, we went out for a day and it was just, even though the weather wasn't particularly impressive and the conditions weren't particularly impressive, it was just, again, that yeah, calming state. We still um, appreciate being on the sea and it is still really nice every time we're on it, but it definitely doesn't have the big, massive appeal and kind of a level of challenge that being on a big... I think we always get off and go, oh, I wish I was on big expedition again. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think especially, you know, because we've done three big trips and everyone, the next question everyone always asks is, well, what's next, what's next? And to be honest, we don't really have a what's next at the moment. Um, we've got loads of ideas for like really cool little trips we could do like as we said we're quite into our running and climbing so i think we'd really love to do like a mix-up expedition uh just in scotland where we can because there's so many good sea cliffs so many like stacks and and also just kayaking uh to to to, to the outer hebrides and going for a run as well and some of that some of these things have uh, some really interesting things but as it comes to really big expeditions there's nothing on our radio obviously we've got like dreams that we'd love to go explore Alaska or we'd love to do this or that but at the moment our goals are kind of probably a bit smaller uh, and probably more local and I think that's kind of the condition of the world right now as well you know it's a bit easier to plan yeah. for the UK <laughs> so so I wouldn't say that it may yeah I wouldn't say that these big trips make the smaller trips less important to me I'd say that they they're just different really um. bro yes the first question is um what inspired you to start boating i grew up in um in the southwest um and from a young age um i got into surfing in the sea uh so i think from like a young age i, I was always like loved being in the water loved being in the sea um, and like surfing was my thing that I did when I was a kid and a teenager so I think just the step to kayaking was kind of a natural progression and as soon as that opportunity was there I just like grabbed it up two hands and got into it and no looking back really. Yeah mine's a bit different so I grew up in the southeast so it's already different you know different part of the world but like um, we didn't really have that kind of option around mine and actually I did not that well at school I was uh, you know as I said I've got quite an over imaginative brain and all this stuff so I was too busy trying to have fun more than pay attention at school um, and I just was working like a nut dead endy type job until my till my mum just said James why don't you just I found you an apprenticeship in the Isle of Man and why don't you apply for that and I went there and then the work told me I'd have to learn how to kayak and that's how I got into kayaking to be honest but um I, I really just like snatched onto it though just because of that whole kind of realizing I'd not really achieved much with that academic kind of side then suddenly I found something that actually I naturally liked I wouldn't say naturally was good at but I found that kind of passion instantly within like the first day sitting in the boat so I was like this is brilliant why haven't I been doing this for years so so yeah it was like an outlet for my my overactive mind I'd say <laughs> so yeah cool uh so in terms of I'm guessing you've you've kind of you've gone through a lot of kit and you've you've broken a lot of kit from the sounds of it but what's your what's your favorite piece of kit you've ever owned um a bit random but on our 
our last Patagonia trip and I took like a barometer with us so reads the pressure of the air and I like, found the weather forecast was so rubbish but the barometer and when the pressure was rising when the pressure was falling was the most accurate source of like <laughs> is it gonna get really windy or are the winds gonna get better and it had a wind speed yeah so whether it was going up or going down so that was the most useful thing that I could have wanted on that trip the weather really I've got two things one's very much paddle orientated one's a bit thingy because I'm not much of a person that like that gets that excited about kit but I'd be wrong to say that my favorite kit wasn't my free piece Nigel Dennis Explorer sea kayak like it's a, a pretty special boat really we can take it on a plane and we can do what we want with it and it's just brilliant um I, I you know and it even though it's um free piece um the weight's obviously heavier but it's still manageable and actually it still moves really nicely in the water so it's great um less paddle side of things more for expedition stuff and even in new zealand where it's generally warm the best thing that i take an expedition is a really nice comfortable belay jacket so it doesn't matter how hard the day is or how how horrible and skanky it's been i know i've got that nice warm jacket that i can cuddle into at the end of the day and it just makes me feel happy when i'm feeling like i want to not be happy anymore <laughs> <laughs> nice brilliant um so hopefully your embarrassing moment isn't as bad as um as our last patagonian traveler that we had on the podcast and um, but what is your most embarrassing paddling moment well i'll, I'll go first okay. so it's not that embarrassing for me it's more kind of funny but like we would, this is when we we're training for the South Island. We tried to paddle around the South, around Cornwall, basically. Um, and uh, I really, we hadn't learned how to wee on the water at that stage. Uh, so I had to land for a beach. And uh, it was dumping waves that I hadn't noticed as I was going in because I was that desperate trying to get in. Um, and literally a dumping wave just picked me up and slammed me onto the beach. And I couldn't get my boat afterwards because obviously dumping waves, if it catches your boat, it's really hard to pull it in. And then out of the rocks comes bounding this 60-year-old nudist. Uh, <laughs> and he was wrestling the boat with me and literally was holding on to me and I had all of these bits all over my face. Uh, <laughs> and he was just sitting out there laughing at me whilst they're there. And then he sat on the end of my boat holding on to it whilst they got back into it. I didn't need a wee anymore, surprisingly. And, <laughs> and he he launched me to safety. Uh, and then he just, this old naked man just waving on the beach as we battled off. Um, but I remember Fee, I came out and was like, thanks for the help there, Fee. <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh, embarrassing moment. Well, <laughs> there's definitely been a few. Probably, oh, one that jumps to mind. Um, do you guys know the Chateau Crew Gorge in France? In the Gil? Yeah. yeah, I was paddling down that and managed to um, capsize midway down and it was all going crazy and I couldn't roll up because it was a, I don't know, like, yeah. Every time you tried, you're against the wall, <laughs> you? Yeah. I ended up swimming at the bottom of that where the big hole is. I managed to swim myself into the, the big eddy, kind of like a cave on the right. And then James came down behind me and I remember holding onto this rock going, James, just get my boat, get my boat, get my boat. So he went down to get my boat and left me in this eddy. And then uh, I kind of thought, oh, what am I going to do now? So I decided to just, climb like out of the gorge mm -hmm. and then um, i think i must have taken the most challenging route possible 
to climb out of the, <laughs> the gorge. And I just kept climbing up and it kept getting steeper and steeper. I remember thinking, I'm almost stuck on this rock, unable to go up or down or left or right. And in the meantime, James had gone down and rescued my boat and um, he assembled the, the French raft rafting team to come and rescue me. Yeah, we had a whole safety still... <laughs> crew coming to get you. Yeah, and he thought I, had, I was still... But then we saw you climbing out at the top of the castle. Like... <laughs> 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 That's a, a story that I'm not so proud of. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> so in among all of your many adventures and pretty pretty wild adventures, um, is there anything about paddling that you don't like? So, so for me, I, I get really bad um, circulation in my hands. So I'd say that it's in Scottish winter, the first half an hour of the river, or normally the first run, where my hands, I can't feel them. And then suddenly I've just got intense pain. And then they warm up miraculously when I get back to my car. Uh, and that's the one thing that I really would prefer not to. And that and chafe. I get really bad chafe in the sea. Um, but yeah, apart from that, the rest of it's great. <laughs> yeah for me it's got to be the chafe as well that like I have definite scars on pieces of my neck and my hands from latex and salt and yeah yeah not good <laughs> don't enjoy the chafe yeah I saw the photos on your on your blog of the chafing on your wrists from the dry suit cuffs yeah. that looked I've got scars from that one actually yeah that was bad well it, it, it was only around our wrists and a bit on our necks in, in Patagonia's wearing dry suits in New Zealand it was all over because we were just wearing like neoprene shorts and just the dry well like semi dry cag um, yeah we looked like we'd warmer. been through some kind of blender yeah <laughs> marks everywhere just like round our waist and stuff um, and you've already sort of hinted at, at this, but um, what's your bucket list trip? Where would you go? Who would you go with and, and why? Well, for me, I'd love to go to somewhere like Alaska or Canada. Um, I would like to spend a whole, say if I won the lottery as well, I'd like to spend like a year or two there uh, and just really kind of do a bit of sea kayaking, do a bit of white watering and go climbing and stuff like that. Uh, in that place because I feel like even the white water there gets because one thing I love about white water is the pure adrenaline rush of doing all the rivers and the mastery of getting the moves right and all this kind of stuff but I feel like in Alaska for white water you'd also have that bit of remoteness and that exploration feel to it as well um but also there's some really cool um sea kayak in there but I'd probably wait till all the bears were gone uh, <laughs> but, yeah. not gone like that sorry just like um on holiday <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um yeah definitely that as well that would be cool um i'd also like to go to pukon back back to chile but do the um the white water side of it and all the steep stuff out there and obviously i'd pick you james oh yeah i'll go with can't really say yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask my mate andy but that was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was actually quick fire as well. That was fantastic. Look at that. Um, yeah. So before we before we do head off, what would you like to plug? What was your what was your? Well, for for for, for me, um, I suppose that we've got a documentary about um, uh, New Zealand North Island. It's about an hour. We put it together ourselves. It's very much homemade, but I think it's quite good. People that watch it say it's quite good. You go on YouTube. It's free. It's just you just write North Island into the sea. Um, and you should find it pretty easily. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's worth a watch. 
my other plug is um, just obviously I work in the outdoor sector uh, with a charity in the outdoors. So I'd say at the moment, lots of outdoor centres as a whole that work with young people that might be their only chance of a holiday or seeing the outdoors are struggling at the moment. So um, even signing a petition or just showing some support to them is great. So I definitely promote that. Um, fee. Yeah, and for me, I guess um, if you want any on the water coaching or any courses, um, I work for Wild River and we deliver um, courses in all disciplines. So SUP, canoe, sea kayak and whitewater. Um, and you can kind of find our whole range of courses and qualifications um, if you pop to www.wildriver.co.uk. Um, so if you're interested in any of that, it would be uh, great. Awesome. Awesome. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for coming on. Really <laughs> lovely to meet you and chat to you. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you agreed that that was a really cool chat with, with James and Fee. They've done some absolutely awesome trips. Um, and they kind of show that with the right kind of positive attitude, experience will always come and kind of you, you can push yourself beyond um, wherever you thought you were ever going to take your paddling if you want to see more of their stuff um, they are into the sea experts on instagram and into the sea expeditions on facebook um, they also have a blog which we'll put a link to in our show notes yeah and on the subject of social media if you still not found us we are at team paddlemore on facebook instagram twitter we're Team Paddlemore on YouTube. You can help support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Team Paddlemore. That's about it, really. That's where you can find us. Um, oh, we've got our Facebook community page as well. Just search Paddlemore Community. You can find that. We can have a two-way conversation um, way, way more than we can on the Facebook page. Next week on the podcast, episode 20, it's going to be Moose and I. So if you want to ask us some questions head on over to that community page have a conversation with us give us some thoughts and feelings that we can discuss on the podcast uh next week and until then have a nice time hope you all get out in the water